We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Al-Shabaab attacks have been increasing in frequency and lethality across Somalia, which has been desperately trying to dislodge the Islamist insurgent group for over 15 years. And there's a grim prediction of the fight to come from the U.S. Defense Department. Joining the crisis next door to talk about the latest developments in Somalia is Haroon Marouf, journalist for Voice of America and co-author of the book Inside Al-Shabaab. Haroon, it's good to have you back on the crisis next door. It's my pleasure to come back to your show again, Jason. Thank you for inviting me. Haroon, when we chatted last May, the U.S. was ramping up airstrikes against al-Shabaab targets as part of its alliance with the Somali National Army and the African Union Coalition. How big of an increase was there in airstrikes compared to previous years? And are they having any noticeable impact on degrading al-Shabaab's capabilities? Well, last year, the United States carried out a record number of airstrikes against al-Shabaab, more than 60 airstrikes. It never happened before. Uh, The United States have been targeting, just like previous years, largely al-Shabaab foot soldiers and uh, mid-level officials, those who are bringing explosives into towns, the um, operatives that are moving between the uh, towns in order to carry out attacks. So that has been the main focus. But the United States also targeted a key official uh, back in December. Uh, the United States airstrikes killed one of the top 12 men within the Al-Shabaab group, the executive leadership of Al-Shabaab. Uh, his name was um, Mohammed Abdinur Marwazi. He was not a well-known figure outside Al-Shabaab, but he was very significant. Remember, he was the head of Da'wa, and he was involved or in charge of recruiting uh, militias and uh, new militants for al-Shabaab. So that was significant. And uh, the thought and the fear that airstrikes created in al-Shabaab areas is significant and it can be felt even from outside. If you remember last year when the leader of al-Shabaab spoke and he, when he was justifying the reason al-Shabaab was attacking Beli Dole airfield, was because he said that's where these drones are flying from, that's where the, in his words, the enemy, the crusaders, are launching airstrikes against al-Shabaab. So you can feel and understand that al-Shabaab really detests these drone strikes that the United States is carrying and that they are having impact. Of course, it's very important also to mention that without ground support, it's always going to be very difficult to, in order to uh, completely minimize or degrade the al-Shabaab power in that countryside, in that part of Somalia. The U.S. Defense Department issued a report saying that troops loyal to Somalia's federal government in Mogadishu 
are not yet ready to stand up on their own against al-Shabaab in the country's south, where there have been a spate of deadly attacks to start 2020. The report says Operation Babadu has resulted in limited progress in recent months. Why do you think the operation has struggled and why is al-Shabaab so entrenched in Somalia's south? Uh, there are two questions in here. Number one, the there has always been a struggle in order to rebuild the Somali National Army. Uh, that is because there has not been a unified, focused strategy in order to revive the Somali army. There are always distractions. Remember, the Somali army are fighting at a time uh, when they are also being distracted by politics, when there are elections every four years, when there are uh, Al-Shabaab attacks, when they are receiving different training from different countries. So they are trying to rebuild Somali National Army while the army is also fighting. You also understand and remember that the African Union mission is there to protect the government. But during the last three or four years, Amisom has completely halted all military offensives against Al-Shabaab. Only Amisom has tanks, only Amisom can have the uh, superior air power in order to uh, completely degrade Al-Shabaab. So the Somali army does not have tanks. They do not have um, heavy weapons. There is an UN embargo on the Somali National Army. So when you say about rebuilding the Somali National Army, it's half truth when you don't also disclose that the Somali National Army is under an international embargo, that even if they wanted to buy a bullet or a small arms, they have to they have to notify the United Nations there, so they are heavily scrutinized. That is one uh, handcuff. The other handcuff is a local one. It's a political one. The Somali regions and the federal government have been disorganized. There have been political friction, bickering, competition for power. There's an election coming up in a few months. So these are all distraction to the effort to rebuild a viable army. I want to get into the Army's rehabilitation efforts, but before that, I uh, also want to talk about Amazon for a moment. They are still set for a withdrawal of about a 1,000 troops soon. It seems like that's been a long-delayed process, and that will put more onus on Somali troops. And also the U.S. Defense Secretary, Mark Esper, said the Pentagon is considering troop-level reductions in Africa as well to deal with problems elsewhere. How big of a problem will this be for Somalia if if those allies start pulling back their ground forces? That will really be a significant setback. I absolutely understand that uh, Amisom have been in Somalia uh, since 2007. Uh, that's 13 years. It's a long time. Uh, they have made some progress to give credit to them. They have sacrificed a lot of lives. They protected the government. Their initial mandate was to protect the government and installations, and they have done that. Their, but their mandate was changed halfway. They were tasked to go after al-Shabaab in the countryside. Uh, but al-Shabaab is a guerrilla movement. The country is very large. Amazon does not have enough forces in order to deploy every part of the country. On one hand, they are also uh, trying to help the Somali government stand on its feet. Um, so Amazon have been struggling, and they do not have all the equipment 
that they needed in order to fight al-Shabaab. But um, the al-Shabaab has also been very resilient, and you can understand that al-Shabaab uh, rarely puts up a fierce resistance to an offensive by Amisom and Somali government. When they see they are facing a heavy uh, offensive, they easily withdraw, they save their men for another day, they rarely lose a lot of men in a battle, and that is because they wanted to borrow as many, as much time as possible, wait for Amisom and the international community to wear off, to get tired, to withdraw from Somalia, and then they can re-emerge and take over the country. That is their long game. I fully understand that Amisom and, and the international community are fully aware of that danger. And uh, as of now, although Amisom is decreasing in number, there has not been a final decision on when Amisom might withdraw completely from Somalia. And I don't think he, it's fair to say that the international community, community is ready to turn its back on Somalia as we speak. I don't think we are at that stage now. Somali President Mohamed Farmajo posted a tweet this week showing pictures of soldiers during a ceremony saying bringing back the dignity of the Somali National Army was a priority and that the country now has a professionalized force sufficient to secure Somalia and safeguard its citizens. Before we look into his optimism, let's delve into the military reforms which Mogadishu has been working on, ranging from higher pay, better training and weeding out corruption. How has that progress gone What's in better shape for the army now? What still needs improvement? Uh, the Somali government has done some uh, work on uh, reforming finance, fighting corruption. And on this front, they have fingerprinted, registered, and uh, they have installed a biometric system which allows payments to the soldiers and government workers. That has been uploaded by the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, and this is the reason Somalia probably for the first time will be eligible for debt relief. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Somalia has been um, in a terrible, weak situation for a long time. The government institutions are not very strong, so it's not very easy to root out corruption. It's not very easy and smooth to give payment to soldiers and government workers all the time, regularly and on time. It happens, and they try at their best, but this is a country that has been in a desperate situation for a long time. Um, so there is an optimism on, on that front, but the bigger optimism is that the Somali soldiers really, despite the lack of uh, uh, hardware, military equipment, uh, despite not getting paid all the time, on time, they have been sacrificing also quite a lot. And they have been fighting in the front lines and they have been fighting ahead of Amisom and they have been putting up with a lot of pressure, even from um, um, uh, from Al-Shabaab. So the Somali government has people, manpower, uh, soldiers who are ready to die for their country. What they do not have is the political backing of the country's leaders 
they also lack the international support in terms of equipping and giving them the full um, uh, equipment and the military hardware that they need in order to put up to put up a fight against Al Shabaab. So. If this is addressed, um, I think the Somali National Army can come back and, and, and stand on its feet. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about the upsurge in violence in Somalia with Haroon Marouf, journalist for Voice of America and co-author of the book Inside Al-Shabaab. Turkey has played a role in the rehabilitation of Somalia's armed forces, opening the Turk-Sum Military Training Academy in Mogadishu, which featured the graduation of 152 officers. How critical is that training and leadership for Somalia's army? That is really very important to Turkey. The United States uh, and Great Britain have been the three countries that were training Somali National Army. But Turkey, above all, they have been training not only of military officers, but also thousands of new recruits. And the target is to train up to 10,000 Somali soldiers uh, at the Turkey-Somali training facility in Mogadishu, which is a very large modern training facility. Um, the other objective that the Somali government and Turkey has in with regard to this training is to harmonize all the different training that the Somali soldiers are getting, uh, not only from the United States and Britain, but also from the neighboring countries, uh, Ethiopia, Uganda, Djibouti, all these countries have been providing some sort of training and support to, to the Somali army. So all these um, trainees, when they return to the country, they need to go to a school where all their training are harmonized, uh, unified, so that they are all on the same page because they are going to a battlefront against Al-Shabaab and they're going to fight against a deadly enemy. So that is also very important. And Somalia, I think, in need is that kind of partnership and i think in somali people appreciate that support not only from turkey but also from the united states and great britain these countries have done really a lot not enough but they have done a lot getting back to president formaggio's claim of somalia now having a professional military what do you think is he reaching a little bit far on that claim at this moment I believe that Somalia has men who are willing to become very professional army. Somalia has the potential really to rebuild its army. If you if you know historically, Somalia had one of the strongest armies in Africa historically. Um, but the Somali army was weakened, depleted, and destroyed as a result of fighting against neighbors a long time ago and then within the country because of the civil war. So the Somali government and the Somali leadership, I think, understand that that golden era can come back. And Somali um, uh, army, they have got very good soldiers, they have got very, uh, um, they have got ambition, they have got hunger really to fight for their country. What they lack is the political will of the leadership. The problem in Somalia has always been weak and lack of good leadership. That has always been the main problem in Somalia. Uh, strong central, strong government and lack of political uh, leadership in backing 
rebuilding the military and leading the country out of this mess. That was the main problem. It has never been a problem to find soldiers who are willing to die for their country. And zeroing in on the political issues, Haroon, earlier this week you wrote about an exchange of gunfire in the city of Kismayo between jubilant leader Ahmed Madobi's forces and those of rival Abdenasser Sarir. That led to a meeting with Madobi with the U.S. ambassador to Somalia, Donald Yamamoto, and AFRICOM commander General Stephen Townsend. Uh, two questions from that. First, is there any word on what transpired at the meeting and how critical are political rivalries in styming the fight against al-Shabaab. How big of a problem is that in being able to have a a, a coalition to actually take down Shabaab? Yeah, this is one of the really issues that I have touched on, which is the political bickering between this federal government and the regions. Um, That meeting between the leader of Chubala and Ahmed Medobe and the U.S. ambassador and the commander of AFRICOM was, I think, a follow-up of the statement made by Donald Yamamoto, the U.S. ambassador to Somalia, which was blatantly telling them that they really need to get their acts in order and unite in fighting al-Shabaab and stop bickering. But this is an election year and bickering is not going to end. And uh, there's going to be political maneuvers. There's going to be efforts to create alliances between uh, political leaders. And the federal government, he knows that and is trying to um, squeeze out the leader of Chubaland because they do not recognize his election in August last year. Uh, they uh, have plans in order to... Uh, Uh, It's been alleged that the federal government is deploying military in Gedder region, which is part of the Jubaland administration, and that has been well established and it has been verified that the government was deploying troops there, federal troops, and the Jubaland administration interpreted that an effort by the federal government to weaken its presence and it is administration in that part of the country. And uh, the region is federal region, uh, federal regions and states believe that the federal government's intention here is to influence and, and manipulate and engineer the outcome of the next election, which could take place either in December this year or in January. It should happen by February. That is when the mandate of the current leader ends on February 8, 2021. So there's a lot of political uh, really bickering. And the reason that the United States ambassador is visiting and talking to the region is, and the federal government is to remind them really that they have, uh, that they need to show a bigger leadership, that they have a a bigger problem to worry about, which is Al-Shabaab. And Al-Shabaab is uh, taking advantage of this gap and lapse um, and taking off attention of the federal government away from fighting al-Shabaab and towards political bickering and rivalry. So, But this is an election year, so it's going to be messy. It's going to be very difficult to focus on al-Shabaab, and al-Shabaab is going to take advantage of that, so we are in a rough ride. And al-Shabaab has committed a couple of high-profile attacks in Mogadishu in recent months. However, the real fight has been pushing al-Shabaab out of Mogadishu into the countryside. 
And the Defense Department, the U.S. Defense Department, that is, said there's been limited impact on degrading al-Shabaab outside of Mogadishu, blaming in part weak police departments and lack of stabilization activities from local towns. How can those local towns and police departments be strengthened to fight al-Shabaab? Well, I think the problem that not only the United States, but also the Somali leadership have failed to um, to, to understand is that you really need to mobilize the public, the ordinary public, uh, to fight against al-Shabaab because al-Shabaab is taking advantage of these differences and political uh, bickering. So if you do not energize localists and mobilize them and understand their grievances uh, and find the local solutions to al-Shabaab, then it's going to be very difficult to defeat al-Shabaab in the countryside. Remember, al-Shabaab does not have large military bases. They do not have large militia bases. They are moving in small groups, 10, 15, but they seem to be everywhere because they are moving in small groups. That's what guerrilla groups do. That's what insurgents do. They are doing guerrilla tactics. They seem to be everywhere, but um, that, that that's what the kind of... Uh, tactics, counter-insurgence counter tactics that they need to get it right, which is really to mobilize localists, make them go after al-Shabaab, not in towns, but in countrysides, because al-Shabaab seems to not have any problem in moving out all the major towns and leave it to the government and whoever else wants to control. And instead, they are focusing on the highways, and small roads and ambushing and targeting supply routes and making movement and life very difficult for everybody, not only for Amazon, but also for ordinary people. So this is what they really need to understand is um, to go after al-Shabaab in the countryside, form small units, uh, create very strong intelligence apparatus, empower local police, not in major towns, but also in the countryside, set up administrations in villages and small districts, uh, install uh, judiciary intelligence, and make them go after al-Shabaab. And that's what's lucky. They, they, of course, they do, that needs a lot of finance and a lot of infrastructure, and that's what the government really needs to focus on. Al-Shabaab seems to have no problem finding new recruits. Where are most of those recruits coming from? Okay, Al-Shabaab has uh, many ways of recruiting uh, new militias. Uh, largely, they um, force local elders, clan elders, to recruit on their behalf. So they held these meetings with clan elders, with villagers, uh, with uh, people in towns, and they asked them to donate money as well as to collect men who are capable of fighting. That's one way of recruiting them. So they successfully force local elders to recruit on their behalf. But they also have another system, which is they recruit a lot of people through the school system. Al-Shabaab has their own schools, they have their own madrasas, and they take kids as young as seven and eight and nine, and they take them to these madrasas uh, two, three years down the road. They take them uh, to a training camp, and by the time when they are teenagers, 17, 18, 19, 20, they are already uh, 
battle-hardened fighters because they have been with Al-Shabaab for five, six, seven, eight years. So this is how Al-Shabaab recruits men and they do not they don't seem to have any problem in recruiting. We have seen this because when they launched that attack a few years ago on Buntuland, most of the militias who were involved in that attack were young kids. They were 12, 13, 14, 17 year old. And that, that, that's, we have seen them when they were arrested by uh, Buntuland administration. So this is how Al-Shabaab really exploits local communities and their own so-called education system. To add to Somalia's misery, ISIS has an active affiliate in the country. Is that group expanding its range? And how is Al-Shabaab dealing with a rival Islamic insurgency? The ISIS presence in Northeast is very small, limited. It has not been expanding, but nonetheless, it's not disappearing. That's the seem to be disappearing. But the the one thing that didn't help a lot, but one thing that might have uh, halted the spread of ISIS in that northeastern part of the country was because Al Shabaab was fighting against them. Al Shabaab was not allowing ISIS function to spread, to recruit, to grow, um, to train more people because Al Shabaab was fearing for its own legitimacy in that part of the country. It wants to be the only strong militant group in Somalia. It wants to be seen as the only representative of the jihadist well in Somalia. So they are not going to allow any other group to have a strong footing in the country. So they have been fighting between them, uh, among them, while also fighting against the, the richness and the Somali federal government. So ISIS still put up with that pressure, not only from Al-Shabaab, but, but also from the regional forces. They didn't grow immensely, but they are not disappearing. So it's a problem in waiting. And the Somalis continue to wait for a peace that seems to be even further over the horizon. Haroon, thank you so much for joining us again here on The Crisis Next Door. It's my pleasure, Jason. Thank you very much. We've been talking to Haroon Marouf, journalist for Voice of America and co-author of the book Inside Al-Shabaab. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.